If you'll turn there, please, in your copy of the Word of the Living God, Matthew 6, verse 25 through verse 30. It's where we draw our uh, message from the living Word of God from. In fact, these are the words of the one who went to Calvary for us, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he lays down truth here uh, for us to live by. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, uh, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. The answer for anxiety. It's the title of this message. Somebody said that, quote, Worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind, which, if encouraged, will cut a channel so wide that all other thoughts will be drained out, end of quote. Indeed, worry can consume the thought life of a person. Worry can dominate the mind of a person. Worry can paralyze a person with fear. For Christians, worry is a particularly bad thing because it is an expression of practical atheism. That is to say, to worry or to be anxious, to be fretful, is to act as if God doesn't exist. Worry also is an affront to God. It maligns his character by distrusting his promises, his power, his providence. Worry was a struggle for our Lord's earliest disciples, even as it is for some of the disciples sitting in this very room today. So Jesus fixes his attention on this problem of worry. And worry, do understand, worry is a spiritual problem. Did you get that? It's a spiritual problem. People always talk about worrying about this, worrying about that. But you need to zero in on the reality that when there is worry, that is a spiritual problem that you have. Thus the word worry because Jesus focuses on it, is 
verses 27, 31, and 34, Jesus commands us, do not worry. And whenever Jesus commands us to do a thing, that means we are not to do it. <laughs> and if we do do it, then we've sinned. To put it another way, to worry is sin. I told you it is a spiritual problem. So when we worry, we are sinning. We are transgressing. We're violating the word of God. In verse 28, he announces the futility of worry. Commentator Herman Ritterbos notes, quote, In telling his listeners not to worry, Jesus basically was warning against the very sin he had spoken of in the previous verses. Dependence on earthly goods. Dependence on earthly goods. So, we're not to do that. We see the connection between the previous section and this present section, which we're looking at. The words in verse 24, for this reason I say to you, connect the two sections, that which we saw last week and that which we're looking at this week. In pointing back to verse 24, when Jesus says in verse 25, for this reason I say to you, what he is doing he is calling attention to the last sentence in verse 24, which is this, you cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot store up treasure in heaven, nor worry about life's basic necessities. Both are ruled out of bounds by Jesus. Both are dependent on goods. If you're laying up treasure in heaven, you're on earth, you're piling it up. Or if you're afraid of what's going to happen here, both of those things Jesus says don't do. Because it's a dependence on those things rather than on the Lord himself. To serve God, you must trust God. You've got to trust him. And he is infinitely worthy of our wholehearted trust. Wouldn't you agree? Well, think about who he is. He is none other than the sovereign of the universe. He is creator of everything, the owner of everything, the controller of everything, and the provider of everything. So why in the world are we worried? And to top this off, he is the believer's heavenly father. The one who owns everything, controls everything, provides everything is our heavenly father. We're not strangers to him. We're in his family. He loves us. He knows about us. He saved us. Why are you worried? When I was a kid, I never worried about eating. Because I had parents. And they had this knack of providing for me every single day. When I was a teenager, I would eat so much and I'd get up and then come back. My father would say I was just getting up to let it digest so I'd come back and eat some more. And <laughs> my point is, they provided. But do something. Our Heavenly Father knows how to take care of us. With these facts about God, our Father in mind, we turn to the first heading in this little sermon this morning. In verse 25, the heading is Prohibition of Worry. We need not worry because of who our Father is. 
That's what Jesus says here. Do not be worried about your life. The grammar of the original language here allows us to translate the text this way. Stop worrying. Jesus was telling his disciples to stop and action in progress. Cease and desist. Cease and abstain. Bring your worrying to a screeching halt. I said it earlier, to worry is sin. That word worry, of course it refers to apprehension. It refers to anxiety. It means to be anxious about something. And I imagine some people are just anxious about being anxious. I don't know. Just worry. I think the dictionary even talks about a worry wart. person just worries, just worries. And they get worried when they don't have something to worry about. The dictionary defines it as mental distress. Jesus says, stop it. Stop it. Now, I need to give a word of understanding here. When Jesus says, do not worry, that word does not preclude planning for the future. Planning is not equated with anxiety, but prudence. So if you plan for the future, you set some things aside for some emergency that will arise or whatever the case may be, living in a fallen world when things go wrong, that is not worry. That's just being smart. Not worrying about it. We're not to be worried about, the text says, our life. Our life, that's what it says. Life here is a reference to physical life. We know this because of the terms eating and drinking. And the body, putting clothing on it. Now, notice here in the text, uh, Jesus says, as to what you will eat uh, or what you will drink. He is not talking about uh, what's on the menu item. Or where are we going to go eat today? No, no, no. The people to whom Jesus was delivering this message, they experienced famine and drought. And they were poor, and those things were a threat to them. And our Lord is speaking largely to an agrarian society, farmers. They worried about their physical survival. You think about this. They're worrying about, am I going a Jamal? Jesus says, stop worrying. Stop worrying. And he asked, do not worry about what you will wear. You see, then he asked this question in verse 25. You can see it there at the bottom of the verse. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The implied answer to our Lord's question is yes. Yes. Think about this. God has granted life to you. Surely he can sustain life by providing food. Think about it. The former, granting life, is the greater thing. The lesser thing is sustaining life. If he can make a belly, he can put food in it. Prohibition of worry. So Jesus moves forward here to help them and us to understand how we are to deal with this issue of life and worry and 
all those things that can come into our life that can stimulate distress in our thinking. He says, verse 26, provision illustrated is our next heading. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. Let's stop there. He demonstrates, Jesus does, by having us look at birds, God's ability to provide. He says, I want you to take a look at the created order. I want you to look at nature and see God's providential care for birds. They serve as an object lesson for us to illustrate God's care for us. Now, notice something he says about birds. First of all, they do not sow. That is, they do not plant seed in the ground. They don't get together and get a plow and say, let's plow up this ground. Let's put some seed in the ground. Nor reap. They don't harvest crops at the harvest season. Nor gather into barns their harvest. They don't do that. In fact, birds know nothing about agricultural science. But notice what Jesus says. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. He feeds them. We've all seen it. One morning I'm sitting in my study. A few years ago. And we had some uh, guests for breakfast. They ate on our front lawn. (laughs) These birds flew in. And they began to forage around. I was thinking, why do y'all come here? And the breakfast evidently was very good because they began to text their fellow birds and more of them came. <laughs> and they kept coming. So our little, uh, little non-restaurant was filled with bird customers. And then I, I began to think, oh, of course, God, you're feeding them. feeds those creatures, creatures of instinct. But notice something else Jesus says here in verse 26. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They cannot sow, they cannot reap, they cannot preserve what they've gotten in a barn, but God takes care of them. Notice something else here. Your Heavenly Father feeds them. Get that? Our relationship with the Creator is unique. Birds do not have a father-child relationship with the Creator. You, if you do, if you're a Christian. Since He will feed birds with with which He does not have a father-child relationship, they're just creatures that He can dispense with and it really won't ultimately matter He has one with us. Will he not feed us? You're his child. Further, he says, are you not worth much more than they? How's that? We are made in God's image. No bird is. We Christians are remade in the image of Christ because of salvation. Our destiny is eternal communion, service, and worship in the presence of God. That's who we are. So Jesus is laying this out for us. He tells us, in effect, worry is utterly unnecessary. 
He provides another illustration. Worry is futile. It's a sub-point. Worry is futile. Verse 27, notice what he says. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? If you're honest, you say, it ain't me. Scholars, in fact, debate this verse, uh, whether the meaning is whether one can add height or length of life because of the word cubit is used in the original. Cubit's about 18 inches. It's a foot and a half in the way we measure. So, boy, I, I don't need to be a foot and a half taller. That wouldn't have any point. I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying. I think the translation here in this verse, verse 27, can add a single hour to his life is the right one. That's the point of the passage. The point of the passage is physical survival. That is what we, that's what they were worried about. Am I going to live? Our Lord is saying worry does not increase longevity. Since we cannot add months, weeks, days, or minutes to our life by worrying, we should not assume that the basic necessities of life will benefit us either. I can keep you alive. You know who keeps you alive? God does. You need to keep this in mind, the reality of God's sovereignty over your life. Not you. It is he who is sovereign over your life. Now, I, I, I know this because the Bible is chock full of truth about this. Deuteronomy 32, verse 20, 39 says this, See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. End of quote. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. The appointed time was appointed by God because God is sovereign over what happens, what transpires. You know why you were born on the day you were born? Because in eternity past, God determines you would be born on the day you were born. And out there, unknown to you, but known to God, is the day you're going to die. It was fixed before you were born. And you're not going to exit this world until God has determined in eternity past and put it down on his divine calendar that you would leave here. That's the day you're going out. The comprehensive sovereignty of God over our life. Psalm 139 verse 16 says this from David's pen. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance when he was in his mother's womb. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them. End of quote. The days of David's life were determined before he exited his mother's womb. So it is with us. God has given us so many days to live. And when we reach that terminus point, if you're a child of God, you go home to be with him. Our survival, therefore, depends on God's sovereignty over life and death. They are in his hands, not in ours. Worry, then, is futile. It accomplishes nothing useful for us. Now, let me add, just in case somebody thinks, well, since God has controlled my life and death, I, I can just go out and get, don't go do something foolish. 
That doesn't give people you license to act foolishly, risk your life. But if you do, understand that's the day God determined for you to die. As for me and my body, I ain't pushing it. <laughs> Worry is futile. Verse 28, as we continue here. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Uh, clothing is another basic necessity of life. And our Lord provides another illustration. Notice the word observe. It, the, the word observe here is this, has this meaning in the original. Learn carefully from. To learn thoroughly. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus says, I want you to learn carefully from lilies. <laughs> Here we are, exalted man, made in the image of God, and Jesus said, I want you to look at the lilies. Pay attention and learn thoroughly from some grass in the field. This is the lesson. This is what we learn. They do not toil. Nor do they spin. This uncultivated vegetation in the field, they, they just grow. Toil, that is, they, they don't toil um, in the field. They don't spin sewing clothing at home. They didn't do that. They grow without human care. And Jesus uses them to teach us something, too. We, toil and spin refer to the characteristic occupations of men and women in ancient rural culture. That's what they did. Men worked out in the field, and women were in the house sewing clothing. And he says, oh, look, uh, they don't do that, lilies. Yet, I say to you, verse 29, that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Solomon, wealthy beyond belief. He lived in luxury. He would, if he were alive today, he'd be on the Forbes richest men list, no doubt. He lived in splendor. His clothing was in splendor. He was a king, king of Israel. But Jesus says his clothing couldn't match the beauty of a lily. Here's a man with unimaginable wealth. Gold brought in all the time from the place it was the best gold. Ophir, for example, in the Old Testament. And yet he couldn't be clothed like a lily. A lily looked better. Verse 30, you need to get this. Well, let me tell you this. These lilies were a rich purple color. And one expected royal robes to bear. No man-made dyes can compare with the hues created. The creator has painted on those flowers. But you notice something. God did this marvelous work, superseding anything uh, that Solomon could do in his royal clothing. But verse 30, But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, Will it not much more clothe you? They're transient. They're here today and thrown in the furnace uh, tomorrow. 
here's what the deal is. Those flowers could dry up so completely that the petals and stems became highly flammable and therefore became fuel for the ovens that the Jews cooked. They'd take it, pick them up, maybe said, a son, daughter, probably a daughter because the son would be out with the dad. Go, go, get, go get me some of those lilies. Bring it back to mom and we're gonna, I'm going to use it to cook with. Cook their food. But God richly appointed them. They're gone. If he would do that for them, how much more would he clothe you? You of little faith. Jesus implies the supremacy of his disciples over Flora, over some vegetation. You of little faith. Worry evidences little faith. what it is, little faith. Worry about clothing is evidence of little faith. Now the faith here mentioned is not saving faith. It is the faith that relies on God to meet daily needs. It's the practical reliance of the disciple on God to meet his or her needs. That's the faith he's talking about. But to not trust him to meet your needs like food and clothing and drink evidences little faith. Now think about this for a moment, what this is saying. If you're a Christian and you believe that God has redeemed you from your sin, he has freed you from Satan, and when you die, he's going to take you to heaven, you can believe all that. But you cannot believe that he's going to provide for your earthly needs now. Something is wrong with your faith. It's little faith. If he can take you to heaven, surely he can put some clothes on your back and food in your stomach. Come on. There's no reason for it. Now you say, well, I, I just don't know. I'm going to tell you something. God used, I wish I said this earlier. I'm going to say it now. It's on my mind. Remember in 1 Kings 17? There's a famine in northern Israel. And you know what God did? He used ravens to feed his prophet Elijah. Raven was an unclean bird, and God said, Raven, yes, master, go feed my prophet. And when God wanted to move him, he said, go down to the brook Cherith. And it's famine going on, but there was water. God, and then when he was done with that, he said, okay, Elijah, I want you to do this. I want you to go to this widow's house. A widow, the people at the bottom, uh, socioeconomically, they were alone. And God fed him through a widow. That's the God we serve. Trust him. 2 Kings chapter 4, remember Elisha? The woman's going out and I'm, uh, I'm going to um, get some sticks, make this little stuff, and my son and I are going to die. Elisha, now first you're going to make me some bread. <laughs> what? I just told you. Uh, no, she didn't say that. She just did what the prophet said. You know why? Because she knew Elijah had told her what God wanted. And she trusted God. She made him bread and God provided oil for her, And that took care of that woman. Paid her credit. God can do that. Quit reading the Bible and acting like those are fairy stories. 
These are not fairy tales. These are rep records of God's power and grace in his people's life. Those people's lives just like yours. You need to believe the word of God. The Bible is not some history book. Just mere history. It's the history of God's power and grace at work in the life of people. When you read it, say, yes, that's the same God that I serve. He hasn't diminished in his power. He's no, he's no less powerful today than he was in the days of Elijah and Elisha. He's able. What we have to do is just trust him. Trust him. Trust him for our needs. Trust him. He knows. He knows. And that's how you are to live. Disciples failed to trust him on a number of occasions. You see in Matthew, and as we progress through it over time, we'll see their failure to trust Christ for their needs. Prohibition of worry, provision illustrated, pagan pursuit. Notice verse 31, the Lord Jesus says, do not worry then. Now, you need to understand grammatically when Jesus says this is different from what he says in verse 25, uh, stop worrying. Here he is saying, never worry at all. Wow. Never worry at all. Worry is never justified. It is never excusable. It is always out of order in the Christian life. In verse 32, Jesus equates worry with the notion of pagan deities. Verse 32, for Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Gentiles, not an ethnic reference here. He is talking about the practice of their false religion. The Gentiles were pagan idolaters, eagerly seeking strong desire to obtain something, the necessities of life. In fact, we have a, a document from the second century B.C. that talks about their obsession, the obsession of the Gentiles, the idolaters, for life's basic necessities. They were idolaters. They're idols. This is why. Their idols were deaf, dumb, blind, and impotent. So, most Gentiles felt, you know what I got to do? I got to meet my own needs because my God is not doing it. Why do you have that God? The illogic of idolatry. Our Heavenly Father. You notice it in verse 32. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Keep this in mind. When you're tempted to worry about something, remember this, your Heavenly Father already knows about it. Frank, frankly, He knew about it before it occurred. It's an emergency and you're thinking, God the Father, He knew about it before you were born. He knows all about your needs. What are you worried about? This is the second time in this sermon that Jesus has said that in chapter 6, verse 8. He says, so do not be like them, meaningless repetition. He says, for your father knows what you need before you ask. We can ask him, but he already knows. We don't inform him. How can you inform an omniscient God? Worry is no place in our life. We can, can focus on Matters that matter. What are the matters that matter? We're talking about, of course, the kingdom. The kingdom. Now, I think I need to share something with you. Somebody said, well, um, 
I got a closet full of clothing. My, 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 my pantry is full. And my problem is I ain't wanting that. <laughs> Food is not an issue. So what do I do? Because I still have some things to worry about, right? Go on, tell the truth, shame devil. We have a verse for you too. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. For nothing. That encompasses whatever else is out there is going to cause you to worry. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, notice you've got to add verse 6 to it, 7 to it, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what you do. You take it to God say, Lord, this is a problem. This is a concern. So you tell me not to be anxious, not to be worried, not to be tied up in knots mentally. So here it is. I'm giving it to you and I'm thanking you because you're the Lord. You're sovereign. You're God. You know all about it. You'll take care of it. Thank you very much. Now I'm going about my business. We had a little problem in our house and water flooded 3.30 in the morning. We're up trying to clean up. Uh, you know, I'm, we can't stay up all night doing that. So called insurance. The plumber come in. I, I get in bed and I said, Lord, I got a lot to do this week. This is Tuesday morning. Uh, you know all about it. You need to take care of it. I'm going to sleep. I was snoring in seconds. <laughs> do you believe the word of God or do you not? Oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I believe the word of God. Mm-hmm. The test will come. The priority pro proclaim. This is our last point. And I'm going to stop, Okay. Priority proclaimed, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Our priority, our energy is to be centered in the kingdom. The verb seek, zedio, means to devote serious effort to realize one's desire or objective, to strive for, to aim at, try to obtain. Our energies, our time is to be spent pursuing, seeking, striving after the kingdom of God. That's it. That's where our ambition is to be. In fact, spiritual and heavenly things are to be first. That's what Jesus says. Seek first. Greatly intensifies that word first. Adverb intensifies the verb. It, it greatly intensifies it. Seek it. Spiritual and heavenly things must be the believer's highest priority. We're to pour our lives into eternal things. I'm amazed that Christians are so obsessed with stuff over here and this over there and this thing, but the kingdom goes lacking. Jesus said, seek first. It's the highest priority in your life. You're to pour your life into eternal matters. I'm going to tell you something. Now, I hope this doesn't offend you, but think about it. It is short-sighted. To spend your energies and time and all the rest for something, something that's going to only be here for a while and you give little or shrift things that are eternal. That's not good. It's not smart. Amen? Amen. Why would you invest in stuff that's temporary and give short shrift to that which is eternal? 
May I say it? That's dumb. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom. Pour your life into eternal matters. It is to command our attention. Seek. That word seek is something we're to do constantly. Continuously. That is how we're to live our life. The kingdom is to be first. I remember years ago, I, I would talk about this verse. And there was a lady in our church, a college student, who uh, took that verse to heart. And she, she was here on Sunday mornings Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. And her, her uh, parents said she was in a cult. And I happened to get to know their parents, and it wasn't a cult. They just, I'm not even sure they were Christians. Jesus says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. That's scriptural. It's how we're to live. So how are we to do this? Our primary emphasis, the kingdom, we submit to his authority. We submit to his, his sovereignty. Here and now we find ourselves in obedience to his will, his rule over our life. We seek the kingdom. We, we do that by also winning people to Christ, proclaiming the gospel to lost men and women. We pursue righteousness, his righteousness, that is practical righteousness found in the Sermon on the Mount, the things that Jesus teaches us here, those things that are to be lived out in our life, in, in, internally and externally. To continue to hunger. And Jesus promised when you do that, when you get the order right, you take care of his business, the king's business, he will meet your needs. He will handle it. Verse 34. So, here's the climax. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Let me stop here and say something. The word tomorrow is a figure of speech in which a part represents the whole. What Jesus is saying here about tomorrow is that all future life it represents all future life in this present age. And what I smiled when I, I read this uh, in the original language this past week when it says care for itself. <laughs> Literally, it means worry about itself. Tomorrow is worrying about itself. Jesus personifies tomorrow. It's like tomorrow is a hand-wringing, floor-pacing, hyperventilating person on the brink of an anxiety attack. Let the future take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble for its own. Do understand this. We will not live trouble-free lives down here. Let me tell you, give you some help. Don't sit around guessing about what's going to happen next week. Don't be focused on tomorrow's potential trouble. What you need to do is focus on seeking the kingdom today and let God take care of you 
in the days to come. That's the answer to anxiety. Just do what Jesus says. And you'll have an anxiety-free life. <laughs> Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. May it continue to prune us and strengthen us and direct us and teach us that we might live lives increasingly to your glory and praise. In the blessed name of Christ, I pray. Amen.